Hello and welcome back to another episode of Binge List and Box Office Hits, the podcast about all things film, TV and streaming, with your host, Shannon Holiday, and me, Letitia Thomas. And welcome back to another episode of Binge List and Box Office Hits. I'm your host, Shannon Holiday, and I'm joined with no one this week. I'm doing this solo because Tish is still overseas and uh, I've had a few special guests had to pull out and go into other weeks. So this one's going to be a solo one and there's a reason for that. I'm going to be doing a special episode of a deep dive into Lost, the many seasons, the many characters the motifs, the themes and all that, and you'll get probably about half an hour worth of that. The episode's going to be a little bit different. We're gonna do, I'm going to talk about like still the things that I've watched this week. Uh, we probably can't do trivia because there's no one else here, uh, but we'll do a little bit of news and then we'll get into the main topic of this episode, which is Lost. Um, okay, so what I've been watching this week. Okay, the first thing I watched this week was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem from 2023. It is starring Micah Abbey, Shimon Brown Jr., Nicholas Cantu, and Brady Noon as the Ninja Turtles. And it's also got A.O. Edaberry, Maya Rudolph, John Cena, Seth Rogen, Rose Byrne, Post Malone's in it. Uh, Jackie Chan plays Splinter. You've also got Paul Rudd and Ice Cube. It's written by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. Uh, it's one of those ones from the, from the comedy powerhouse of like, you know, super bad and whatnot. Uh, this one was great. I absolutely love this film. I got a chance to watch it this week uh, from home, actually. I got a, got a, got a copy of it. Um, it's definitely got the art style that's very similar to like Into the Spider-Verse and Across the Spider-Verse. They've definitely taken homage from the different styles of animation. This one's definitely like a, it's like a CGI kind of mix between like that and also like, like the crayon effects on top of it. I haven't been a huge fan of like Ninja Turtles like before that. Like I didn't watch the original ones where it's like guys in the suits from the 80s or, or like the animation series. So this was me kind of going in blind and had a thoroughly good time. It's um, it's basically them as teenagers and they're wanting to basically be heroes of New York. Like they just want to be seen as someone who's like helping out the city essentially. Um, they try this a few times and to no avail and they end up meeting April O'Neil. They end up uh, saving her, saving her bike. Um, so she doesn't see them as a threat. They, she sees them as just uh, a helpful bunch of turtles, ninja turtles. And so they work together because they realize that there's this um, sinister plot about uh, the, like Superfly. It's like this masked like vigilante because that's what they think it is. I think it's a person in a mask trying to trying to cause chaos until they realize that it's actually another another mutant. Because uh, there is an origin story at the start, like where they came from and how they became Ninja Turtles and um, how Splinter found them and, and whatnot. And they work together with April to essentially for them, it's to try and prove that they can, you know, save New York as the, you know, the usual superhero style story. And April and Neil just wants to um, be like popular at her high school by doing like a journalistic story on them. And they realize that uh, Superfly is one of the mutants. They feel a connection at the start because there's a bunch of different mutants as well. There's like like probably about 10 different ones played by all these different great um, actors and actresses. And um, Paul Rudd's this like weird chameleon who's like a skateboarding like hippie. It's very funny. Uh, at first, yeah, they feel like, yeah, connection to the mutants, but then they realize Superfly is essentially going to uh, turn all humans, 
or like all animals into mutants and therefore like take over the planet. And since they're trying to save the humans, they don't feel don't feel obliged to go through with it. So they essentially verse verse Superfly. Superfly is played by Ice Cube as well. It's fantastically played by by Ice Cube. And yeah, like they end up being heroes in the end. And there's a little like kind of like a little scene at the end where it kind of leads into a a sequel, which I'm kind of very excited about with Shredder. So we'll see how that goes. But um, thoroughly enjoyed it. It's worth checking out. Um, it's at cinemas at the moment. So that's what I saw first. And then I watched uh, The Little Mermaid uh, from 2023. That got recently added into Disney+. Plus. Um, that is starring Hale Bailey, Jonah Howerking, David Diggs, Aquafina, Jacob Tremblay, Javier Bardem, Melissa McCarthy, and it's written by David McGee and directed by Rob Marshall. Uh, so I'd say that many of you have probably seen the original animated version of The Little Mermaid back in the day. I think it's from 1994, roughly. So I've seen it way back in the day myself and it's okay it's like just one of the disney animated films so i know the story pretty well went into this pretty low expectations i didn't see it at the cinemas and i just wanted to see how they kind of adapted it into a live action version like how is it going to mix with the cgi uh honestly the cgi wasn't terrible it was okay there was definitely scenes where i was like oh that's pretty obvious um it was a little bit unnerving to see like flounder as an actual fish yeah, for me, this story was it was a bit flat in terms of like the adaptation. I found that a lot lately with the Disney Plus adaptations of the actual old ones. Like it's too real. Like it's too real. Like you've got like an actual seagull, an actual crab, and like they just can't emote like they can in the in the animated versions of them of of the uh, of the movies. Yeah, and it also runs quite long. It's like two hours twenty one, and I feel like you know for a kids' film, that's an ad- adaptation of an animation movie. It shouldn't run for probably more than an hour 40, 45. They could have definitely cut it down by about half an hour. Um, the relationship between Ariel and Eric isn't like, there's no chemistry there as well. I didn't feel like they were like falling in love at any point. Like they were, it was just too short for that part in particular as well. I will say the biggest standout of this movie was definitely Melissa McCarthy's Ursula. Like that's what I kind of like half watched it for was essentially just to see the the kind of final battle scene uh, with Ursula and the giant, like when she turns into a giant like sea monster. Like that was definitely like the best part of the movie. Uh, she definitely took on the role and made her own. Like she was the standout actress in this movie. So if you're going to see it for anything, I would say particularly watch it for her portrayal of Ursula because it was it was actually quite good. But the rest of it, it was a bit flat. I just, I'm not a huge fan of the story, like of, of all the Disney animated movies. This is not my favorite. So I, I was never going to go into it and love it. But yeah, it was, I can't even say if it's worth watching. It's, it's, it's a tough one. And that's really what I've been watching this week. I watched a little bit more of Rest of Development. I um, finished off the first three seasons, which is the original run that Fox put out and was from 2003 to 2006. Uh, finished up great. I love that. I love that show in that kind of period, the first three seasons. And then I chucked on the, uh, the season four, episode one and two, because I wanted to see how the time jump, like I watched a couple of episodes back in the day when it launched in 2013. Uh, I just want to watch it again and see kind of if you go straight from season three to season four, what it's like. And that's why I remember falling off watching that fourth season. It's so different. The characters are very different from what they portray in the first three seasons. Like Michael, the main character who's played by Jason Bateman, is just 
like in the original show, he's he's the grounded character. He calls out the stupidity of all the other characters, and he's essentially the one keeping them all together, which is basically the slogan of the show. In the fourth season, he's in the first episode because it happens in the fourth season. They're all like centric episodes, so each kind of episode like portrays like a particular character, and it all kind of plays out over a period of the same period of time. The first episode's like Michael centric. And he's completely different character. Like he's stupid. He's not getting cues from other characters. He's kind of a bumbling mess, and he all makes makes all these mistakes. And he wouldn't have done that as the original character. So I don't know. I just not loving it. I'm going to continue through because there is a fifth season, and apparently that's quite good. So I kind of want to punch through the fourth season and get to the new one uh, that came out about 2018, 2019. So I want to get to that one and see how the whole show kind of wraps up. And that's what I've been watching this week. And as I said, we can't really do any trivia this week because there's no one here to ask a question to. It'd just be silence. So I've, I'm going to move on from that. We'll definitely bring back trivia in another week. Um, maybe not next week because I've got something kind of special planned in particular with a few phone-in audience members. So that's something completely different that we haven't done before. So that should be fun. But the week after, we should have another special guest back on. And the week after that, T should be back from Europe. We'll go from there. Alrighty. So in the news this week, we've got Quentin Tarantino's reputed final film will get a 20.2 million subsidy from the state of California, the state's film commission announced on Friday. The film has been rumoured to centre on the life of Pauline Kael with the working title of The Movie Critic. It is among 16 films to be awarded the state tax credits in the latest allocation. So the state of California gives tax credits to all the films because they want them to be filmed in that location. So they give them a tax cut. And Quentin Tarantino has obviously taken on board the $20 million, as you obviously would. And he said he'd be quite happy to film in California because he enjoys filming on that location. So I can't wait to see what happens with the film critic when it comes out. It's going a while off. Obviously, we've still got strikes and that. Nothing's going to happen for the interim time in the near future. So we'll see what happens. It might be a couple of years off. Okay, so this one, this next bit has to uh, front up with a bit of a trigger warning. We'll start with that. Uh, in other news, uh, Danny Masterson has been sentenced to 30 years in prison for the rape charges against him. Danny rose to prominence for the shows of That 70s Show and The Ranch. He will be 77 years old before he is eligible for parole. So there's been an ongoing uh, legal trial against him in terms of uh, rape allegations, and that's finally come to a head, and he's been sentenced. So that's 30 years in prison. I was looking at possibly 15 to life, but he got the full sentence, 30 years. And yeah, he's going quite an old man before he is out. So that is really all the news we've got for this week. There wasn't too much. I did have a quick look, but that's all that's really come out. And as we move on, we're going into the main topic now. I know it's going to probably be a little bit of a shorter episode because I'm just, it's, it's hard not bouncing off anyone. So we're just going to go straight in and talk about, talk about Lost. So this is one of my favorite shows, as you would have heard in the first episode of this uh, Bingeless podcast. It's one of my favourite shows because I just absolutely adored it. It ran from September 22, 2004 to May 23, 2010. So it went for about six, six, seven years, six and a half years, and six seasons, 121 episodes. So this was a very large ensemble cast show. It was nothing like it out at the time when Lost first premiered in 2004. Uh, it was created by Jeffrey Lieber, J.J. Abrams, and Damon Lindloff. It's essentially about a plane crash. Uh, it's about the survivors of a plane crash of Oceanic Airlines Flight 815 and what seems to be an uninhabited tropical island. But as they go through the seasons, they realize there's more to this island than meets the eye. 
Um, I'll go through the characters essentially to start off with and kind of explain them and then explain what happens in, in, in the seasons and kind of go over themes as well. So we'll start off with uh, a list of lost characters. You've got, you've got Jack Shepard who plays the Doctor. Uh, he's played by Matthew Fox. You've got Saeed who's played by Naveen Andrews. He is the Iraqi uh, soldier. You've got Claire Littleton who's played by Emile Daravan. Uh, and she's the pregnant lady on the plane. Um, you've also got uh, Hugo Hurley Reyes, who is played by Jorge Garcia. Uh, he is a millionaire, but you find that out much later in the real world. You've got Shannon Rutherford, who's played by Maggie Grace. You've got Soyo, who's played by Josh Holloway. Walt, played by Malcolm David Kelly. Uh, you've got Jin and Son, played by Eugene Kim and Daniel Day Kim. Uh, Kate Austin, who's basically the main character besides Jack, uh, played by Evangeline Lilly. Charlie Pace, played by Dominic Monaghan. John Locke, played by Terry O'Quinn. And Michael Dawson, played by Harold Perrineau. And Boone Carlisle is played by Ian Sommelheider. That basically makes up the cast of the first season. So essentially the, the first season starts off with the massive plane crash on the island. The front part of the plane has broken off. Uh, somewhere and so has the back part of the plane so basically the fuselage is just landed on the beach and the first scene is just chaos absolute chaos there's people you know have been you know dying and stuff the the fuselage is just on the beach everyone's running around jack wakes up in the actual forest opens with like a opening of his eye so like his eyes opening as if he's waking up in the forest he gets up he runs off runs towards the beach and he sees like where the plane's crashing he starts to help people out because he's a doctor and this first scene goes for like 20 minutes of like things happening, like the plane's still kind of exploding in certain parts, people are still dying. He saves a few people from the the wings about to fall down because it's sitting up in the air, it falls down, explodes, people get out of the way. And that's like this opening 20-minute scene. It's really done really well. It's actually one of the most expensive, I think, first episodes ever at the time. It was like $14 million. So it all went into that, I'd say. And then throughout the first episode, you're introduced like to the other characters as well. You see Jack, he's he's got a cut on his side, so he's essentially stitching himself up because he's a doctor, he knows how to do it. And that's where he meets Kate. Kate kind of helps him actually sew himself up and they kind of build a relationship up. Um, you meet Sawyer, who's basically like the cowboy type character. And he's like, you know, he seems like a criminal, like everyone just treats him in that as well. And there's a bunch of other characters. They're essentially the main three. I'll probably talk about more than anyone. And John Locke. John Locke's the one. He's in a wheelchair, but you don't know that in the first episode. Actually, for a couple of episodes. It's like four episodes in. Um, before the plane crash, like he's, he's wheelchair bound. And then when he gets to the island, he kind of regains his ability to walk. Now, this is where it comes into the fact that the show is a little bit supernatural and people didn't really like that because um, he has a real connection to the island. He's like, the island gave me my ability to walk again whereas jack has this just sees this as well fact everything's fact 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 because he's such a man of science now this comes up a few times like the science versus faith avenue that's like one of the metaphors that happens throughout the entire show is like is it like mystical is it mythological is it science is it fact is it just happening and that's basically portrays out by these two characters um they start off as like quite you know they're all survivors so they play out as like friends at the start and then because there's such a rivalry going on, this kind of like causes tension and essentially causes them to actually split apart at some point in season four. The episodes 
how I'll talk about the episodes. The episodes, besides the first, I think, three episodes, which kind of is about the plane crash, each episode after that is essentially an episodic-centric character story um, because what happens is not only what happens on the island takes place, it also they take place in flashbacks. So something that happens to a particular character for that episode in something before the plane crash, like before the island will kind of relate to what's happening on the island and you'll get those flashbacks in between what's happening with that character back and forth. And that's when you kind of get more, a deeper understanding of the characters and each episode kind of relates to a particular character. Now these seasons aren't like seasons they are now. They're like 20, I think the first season is like 25 episodes long. It's quite a long season. They aren't all like that, but the first one definitely is quite a long one. So each episode at the start, the first like 15 episodes, you're just getting to know the characters, who they are before the plane crash, they're basically just trying to survive in the first like 10 episodes. Like there's, they're trying to hunt for boar. They're trying to find shelter. There's this whole thing. Do we stay on the beach? Do we not? They end up like half the team goes to the caves because they think they should like actually stay somewhere who's secure. There's also, like I said before, like this mythological part of what's happening. They think there's a monster in the, in the, in the forest. They hear this in the first night they stay there. They hear this abs like just this weird sound and they see all these trees like, basically fall over and they just think this is a massive monster. Also, when they went to find the front end of the plane, the pilot got, gets killed by this monster. So you don't see any of it. It's like framed from away as if they're running away. They can't see anything. They're just trying to escape. And so that's the big dread by going into the forest, essentially. Throughout the first season, they're essentially trying just to build a relationship up. Claire gets taken at some point because they realise there's other people living on the island. This person who went by Ethan... They thought he was part of the the survivors. They realize when they look over the manifest that Ethan was never on the plane and she gets taken by Ethan back to where the others are living. So you lose her for like literally half the season. Um, Charlie nearly gets killed because they become friends. Charlie nearly gets killed when he gets kidnapped as well, but they find him. And then when they're searching for Claire, Locke and Boone end up going into the forest like every night looking for her, looking for her. And it happens for like two or three weeks. And while they're out on one of their expeditions, they come across this hatch that's buried in the ground. It's literally just this door that's buried right in the ground. And it becomes like the the main mystery of the end of season one, like what's in the hatch. It was a huge thing during like the, the airing of the show back in 2004, 2005. They end up like digging it up, but they can't get into it. So they've got this basically massive door built into the ground. It's dug up like to the part where all the sides are like, you can see the sides and they still can't get into it. Boone's end up, Boone ends up dying like at some point towards the end of the season by trying to open the door as well. It doesn't go well. They find a plane. He falls from the plane, uh, like this old plane on, on, on the island. He, fall, he gets inside to try and radio for help. He falls and dies. Locke lies about it. Jack ends up beating him up. It's this whole thing. And that's when Locke ends up telling Jack about the hatch, about the truth, about why they were out there trying to find things. And during this time, there's this whole thread of the others where Claire got taken. And Claire comes back by that time. She just is found in, in the middle of the forest by herself. She has no memory of what happened. And so the end of the first season this um, French lady who's been, they heard a broadcast in like the first couple of episodes that she's been living on the island looking for help, but it's been playing for something like 23 years, this loop of this like emergency playing thing, demo essentially over the radio. And she comes out of the wilderness, this French lady, and she's like, the others are coming. Uh, You have like three choices, run, hide or die. That's essentially like 
what their choices are. So Jack and the others, they all come up with a plan to essentially find dynamite because they go to what's called a black rock. Now, you think it's going to be a rock, like this random, like, uninhabited place on the island. It turns out it's this old, like, ship from, like, pirate times. It's just, like, in the middle of the forest. There is an explanation about where the hell that boat comes from, but you don't get that till season six, um, which I'll get to later. <laughs> um, and there's dynamite on the boat. So they go out and the, they, they make this plan to essentially get the dynamite from the boat, the black rock, take it to the hatch, blow up the hatch and hide in the hatch if the others come. Uh, this is like the last three episodes, which is like the finale is like three episodes long. They go out to get the dynamite. One of the one of the random like B characters who you're gonna get introduced for like one or two episodes ends up dying because he explodes from the dynamite. Um, on the way back to the hatch, um, they end up seeing what the monster is briefly, and it looks like it's a cloud of black smoke. And it turns out it is the monster is actually just a, a plume of black smoke, and it comes up at certain points in this in this show. They end up getting back to the hatch. They put the dynamite on top of the hatch and then Hugo Hurley's there and he sees these numbers on the side of the hatch. Um, so the reason why he came to the island is because he was playing the lottery with these particular numbers, the ones that he sees. He won the lottery with those numbers um, and he ends up thinking he's cursed be- because of these numbers. He won the lottery, but everything else in his life has gone really, really bad. And the reason why he was in Australia, because the plane was going from Australia to Los Angeles, the original one they were all on, was the numbers. He got the numbers off that person to play them. Like he thought they were his lucky numbers. So it's kind of like the numbers were the reason why he ended up on the plane crash. So he saw the numbers on the side of the hatch and he freaks out. He freaks out. He's like, Jack, Jack, don't do it. And Locke ends up blowing up the hatch anyway. Massive explosion. And the end of the first season, and this was a huge cliffhanger at the time because it was not like you had access to anything else on the internet to find out any more information the hatch blows up because it was a huge mystery they look inside and the the camera kind of just zooms from their perspective like you're looking at them down into the hatch and just zooms down into the hatch and shows how kind of far it goes down and then it just cuts so you're kind of left with this massive mystery of season one and that's really the end of season one another b story that's happening at the same time is Jin Sawyer and Michael have built a raft to try and get away with Walt as well to try and get away um, to find help essentially because they're like no one's coming to save us we need to find help ourselves so while they're trying to blow up the hatch these these four have gone off on a little raft and when the French uh, they call her the French chick the French chick says that the others are coming for the, for the boy they think it's uh, they think it's Claire's kid but it ends up being uh, Walt so when out in the middle of the ocean this random boat appears and they're like oh cool we're saved we're saved uh, but they quickly it quickly turns sinister there's like gunshots and everything and they end up stealing Walt off the the raft and the raft gets like, exploded and they're all just stuck in the water and that's how those characters storylines kind of end up in season one as well and yeah we move into season two and the first episode plays out really, really slowly. I remember that and I was really frustrated because you don't get straight into the hatch. Like it's still them just recovering from blowing it up and they're standing over it and they realise they can't get straight into the hatch straight away because it's quite deep. It's just this basically just shaft right down. But there is other rooms in there you find out later. So Jack's like, we can't do this. Like this isn't a good place to stay. We'll just go back to the caves and kind of like bunker down and, you know, protect ourselves there if the others are going to come. Um, they all head back. Locke's like, that's not, that, that ain't what I'm going to do. So he kind of gets some rope and literally just leaves. He goes back to the hatch and goes down into it. All the while, like, Kate Kate comes back and 
So this weird love tri- triangle between Kate, Jack, and Sawyer, this whole dynamic. So at the at this period of time, she's really close with Jack, but then she goes off with Locke to go and see what's in the hat. She just leaves and kind of not so much portrays Jack, but she just definitely doesn't agree with what he's doing. So she goes down with Locke into the hatch, and lo and behold, there's this, abs- this massive monolith of rooms, um, but it's all built as if it's like, it's got like 70s themed stuff in there because it's been there for so long. It's like all this really old, like like just equipment in there from the 70s. And the next three episodes is ba- it's really drawn out. It, they get down in there. Jack comes down with them. There's like this kind of like shoot off with whoever's in there as well because there's a man inside the hatch and his name's Desmond Hume and he's been there for two years. So you get a backstory later on about why he's been down there, how long he's been down there. And apparently like Jack and him have met before as well. This whole thing's like, takes place they all they all know each other from past essentially as well and so in the shootout i think jack ends up shooting the computer desmond has this freak out because there's a computer in the center of like the big room and desmond's like what have you done like you we all need to leave this place like the whole basically the whole planet's going to explode um jack's like what the hell do you mean chases after him out into the forest because desmond is just going to leg it he's running and they talk to each other. He's like, you've got to press the button. If you fix the computer, press the button over 108 minutes. Otherwise, the world will end. And Jack, being a man of science, not a man of faith, just can't bring himself to do it. And he, like, here's all the information. He gets back to the hatch once they've fixed it because Saeed's, like, quite good with computers. So he's fixed the computer. It starts working again. Um, they have to input the numbers, which are the same exact numbers that Hurley knows, 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. And they think it's like 45. And as Jack walks in the room, and he's like, it's actually 42. Um, and that kind of shows his release of like his science side of things or he's actually actually believing a little bit of it because he, uh, he works with Locke and pressing the button for the rest of the season. This season's like really, really slow in terms of any kind of story development. It takes place over like a less amount of time. Like the first season takes place over like 44 days or something. This one's like 23 days for a whole like season. The big majority of things happen is um, the raft people end up washing ashore and they end up getting found by what is the remaining survivors of the, f- the back tail part of the plane. So the back tail part of the plane crashed on the other side of the island, but in the ocean, like just off the beach, they all washed up and slowly one by one, they're all getting taken by the others. So there's only about five of them left um, when they find, you know, uh, Jin, Sawyer and, and Michael, and they are, they're captive for a while. They realize that they're actually also people from the Fly 815. So they work all together to get back to where the main camp is, and that's like the big kind of confrontation in the middle of the um, middle of the first, second season is when the tail section part of the plane meets up with the front section. There's this massive confrontation because Shannon's been running around in the wilderness thinking she's been seeing Walt, and she runs around the corner. She just you just hear a shot, and it turns out one of the tail section people uh, shot her by accident, thinking it's the others that were around. Because there's all these bunch of whispers as well. That's also a running motif: is like whispers in the jungle, thinking it's the others. And so this massive event happens as bringing these two together. And there's an introduction of three characters basically in this season. It's Mr. Echo, Anna Lucia, and Libby. They're the three kind of main people from the tail section. And it was Anna Lucia who shot Shannon. So, yeah, kind of massive tension there. And Anna Lucia was talking to, you find out in the flashback, 
and Alicia was talking to Jack just before they got on the plane. Like they had a, they basically had a drink together at the at the bar. Anna Lucia is played by Michelle Rodriguez from Fast and Furious series. So this is like one of her only times she's kind of done a TV show. This is this is basically the point where they both get to it's the middle of the season. Tail section's back with the main section. They're pressing the button in the hatch. Michael's kind of still searching for Walt because Walt's been taken by the others. They end up finding it's his name's Benjamin Linus. He's essentially he's a mystery character towards the end of the second season. He says he's a like a, a balloon hot balloonist and he's kind of crashed on the on the island as well. They capture him because they're not sure if he's an other or not because the threat's kind of quite real at this point. Like there's huge anxiety around them, around the others just trying to take them all. And so they put him in the like a the lock up in the hatch, and Locke's been slowly and slowly talking to to Ben. And they kind of, there's a friction there as well because it kind of like gets found out that he is another as well over, over the course of like five or six episodes. Michael at one point says he's going to, yeah, like I'll look after Ben. Like I'll make sure he stays in there. And he's kind of like, like to Analysia. And he gets the gun off her. And as soon as he gets the gun off her, he shoots Analysia like twice. And then that's it. It kind of cuts that episode. It's like a cliffhanger for that episode. Not the end of the season. And then you don't see him for a while. And, uh, oh no, he shoots himself in the arm and he like goes, oh no, Ben's, Ben's, he escaped, he escaped. And that's when Jack comes up with a plan to, all right, we've got to go see the others. We've got to confront them. So then it's Michael, Jack, Kate and Sawyer who kind of build this like team up to go and see the others. And it turns out it's, it's basically a trap by Michael because he's been talking to the others via the computer at some point. And he, he basically was told to get those four people in a team out to where the others are and we'll give you back your son. So he does that and that's why he felt like he had to kill Analysia just to form this plan. During the shooting, Libby gets shot as well because she walks in. So Libby and Analysia get shot during that point and they're kind of death. It's quite sad actually. And then, yeah, the end of the season is basically two things happen. Uh, you've got Locke losing faith in the hatch and the button so him and Mr. Echo are like really versing each other about who should press the button or not. Locke ends up locking Mr. Echo out and he just waits to see what happens with press the button and it doesn't happen. And the other four characters that were with the others get captured and that's how their story ends. They just watch Michael and Walt just leave on their boat and those they get their bags put over their heads and they're basically captured by the others. Back with Locke, when they don't press the button, so him, Echo and Charlie are essentially wondering what's going to happen. Everything starts to like uh, like shudder, like the whole island kind of shudders and it's, it, looks, it sound, looks like it's going to explode the island essentially. Everything starts kind of like caving in in the hatch because it's like electromagnetic, so it's kind of like crushing in on itself. And Desmond has come back from that point. So he was in the first couple of episodes of season two and then he's back because his boat never leaves. He tries to leave, but the boat can't like leave the island. He just keeps circling it. It's something to do with the electromagnetic part as well it's like mythology mythological part of the show and yeah so desmond comes back and he realizes there's a fail safe under there like he knew about it no one else did he gets underneath the hatch he he turns the fail safe and it kind of just goes massively like the whole screen goes white and even with all the characters that are on the island the whole like the, the, the sky just goes blindingly white even for the people that are in the others uh everything goes white for that period of time and that's how the second season ends as well. Cut to the third season. It's all about the others. So the ones that are captured, 
They're in these cages. Or it's actually just Kate and Sawyer who are in separate cages. Jack's inside this building. He doesn't know what. He's just woken up. He meets this other, other, this lady other called Juliet. And um, she's essentially a doctor as well. And the idea of it, this whole first part of the season, split in two parts of this season, this season three, is Jack has to work on Ben because he has a life-threatening illness. But Juliet's been sent in to essentially coerce Jack into doing it. And they threaten Kate and Sawyer, which is why they're in cages. If he doesn't do it, they'll die. So essentially he, he agrees to it and they escape at the same time. But they try and escape. They realize they're on a smaller island off the coast of the main island. So they formulate a plan to get a boat and they go across at the same time he's doing the operation. It's like a thing where he's like, I'll cut you whatever part of your body if you don't let them go. They let them go. And they go back to the mainland to tell the main part of the survivors what's happened. You don't really see Jack for a couple of episodes. The rest of the team kind of formulate a plan to go and get Jack back because one of the others escaped with Sawyer and Kate. So they know where their base is on the main part of the island. So they formulate a plan like uh, Locke and Kate and the other to head to what's called the barracks. Head to the barracks. They just see like Jack playing football with a couple of them as they're like off in the bushes. And they're just like, what the hell is this? They break in. They realize that Jack's like made a plan, like a kind of a deal with them to get off the island. Cause apparently there's a submarine that they have, which gets them off and on the island. Jack's allowed to go off the island on the next shipment. And Locks obviously doesn't want anyone to leave the island. That's another reoccurring theme. He doesn't want anyone to leave. So he always sabotages any kind of plan for them to get saved. He ends up blowing up the submarine. And so Jack's like furious. That's essentially where like a lot of the rivalry starts as well. And so they all like leave. They all go back to the survivors camp. And basically towards the end of the third season, they, something else happens where like, I think it's it, Desmond gets a like vision because they all wake up from like the hatch explosion and like, Desmond starts having visions from like Charlie's death and he ends up saving them throughout the entire season. Like, oh, this is about to happen to you. So I'll save you. Desmond gets a vision that someone's landing on the, on the island. That's not them. So they go out and see it and they realize it's this character called Naomi. And she's kind of like hurt because she, when she fell out of the plane that she was on, Helicopter, sorry. Uh, she like lands on a stick. So she they they bring her back to the main part of the camp. Uh, they eventually let everyone know that she's there, and then they go. She tells them, "Oh, we've got a boat, a freighter, not just off the coast. Um, if I could work out how to radio, we can get them here." So she's got like the basically the transcriber thing. That part's working, but they've got to work out how to get a radio signal out. And they remember that the re- the French chick had a radio signal, so they go to this massive radio tower with her help of knowing where it is to put in their own kind of radio signal now at the same time the others are jamming radio signals of course so that's why none of her like radio uh for help things got out there desmond and charlie decide to go to the jamming station which is underwater just off the coast of the island at the same time as all the literally all the other survivors they all pack up and go to the radio tower to essentially put in their own kind of thing for, to get the freighter there. Uh, lo and behold, there's some others inside the jamming station. A bit of a battle happens and Charlie ends up locking himself in one of the rooms that has like, it's because it's underwater, like one of the rooms has all the radio signals in it. Like he, he unjams it. He locks himself in there because like 
just so no one else could get like there's get hurt. I think someone gets shot or something and Desmond sees him locked in there and one of the baddies has like gone outside and he has a grenade and he explodes himself next to the window. So Charlie's in there talking to, you know, the freighter team or like who owns it. They're trying to radio someone like Penny, which is Desmond's partner. You find that out in his flashbacks as well. And um, he's talking to Penny because the whole time Naomi's saying, oh, it's Penny's boat. It's Desmond's partner's boat. So great. You're all going to be saved. He's talking to Penny on the radio Charlie, that is, as like the the rooms rooms filling up with water, and Penny's like, I haven't sent a boat. I don't know what you're talking about. And as the room fills up, because obviously Desmond's on the other side of the door, he can't hear all this. Um, Charlie just writes on his hand, "Not Penny's boat," and just like as he's literally drowning, because this is where his death. It's actually one of the saddest deaths of the show, I think. Is he writes "Not Penny's boat" on his hand? And he just puts that hand up towards the the window that Desmond can see. And they just look at each other as he's drowning and they kind of have an understanding of what that means. And then Charlie kind of moves away from the, from the window and, and drowns. At the same time, obviously, he fixed the jamming thing. The rest of the survivors with Jack and that fixed the radio tower signal. So they get the signal out to the freighter, but they aren't aware that it's not Penny's boat yet. And um, Locke comes along because he was been spending some time with the others because he stayed there after the confrontation with Jack. And he just randomly like throws a knife into Naomi's back and kills her. And everyone's like, what the hell? And um, he kind of knows that it's not like it's, it's a sinister plot as well. So he kills her cause they're not saying who they really are. And they kind of exile him out of the group. So he goes off again and that's how the third season ends. Essentially. They're just waiting for the freighter people to turn up. Cue the fourth season, which is probably one of my favorites, actually. Uh, it's the introductory of the characters that are on the freighter. So you've got, in a helicopter, it comes across, uh, you've got Daniel Faraday, Miles Strom, Charlotte Lewis, and Frank Lapidus. Um, they're all great characters. Daniel Faraday is like this quirky, like, uh, scientist guy. Miles is like this um, mind reader kind of dude who can like hear the dead. It's very strange. And then Charlotte Lewis is, you don't really get much of a character besides the fact that you get a flashback later to find out that she was already living on the island prior as a kid. And then she comes back later. And Frank is just like the actual helicopter pilot. The first, I think the first episode opens with like, like from their perspective in the helicopter because they're coming across the island because they've heard the thing now. And it's in the nighttime, it's in the rain, and it ends up just like losing power. So it ends up going down. And they all jump out at different various points in the island and parachute in. And the rest of the episode is like the survivors coming and finding them. So it's actually really well done because you get an introduction to each character each time. So this season was actually the first season that introduced what was called flash forwards. So because like they're kind of getting to the point where they're probably going to be saved close enough to it, like they're kind of getting to that point with the freighter being there. Um, They've got flash forwards instead of flashbacks and you kind of see who kind of does get saved and you find out it's the Oceanic 8 and you slowly like one episode at a time find out who which ones they are and that kind of correlates to something that comes next season. So that's pretty cool. Um, The big thing about this season is are the freighter people good or are they bad? Now, the ones that you've kind of met at the start of the season are essentially good. They're there for one reason, though. They're essentially there to turn off Ben Ben Linus's, who's the other, um, one failsafe of basically killing everyone on the island because he did that before when he was younger, when he was a part of the others from the Dharma Initiative. 
Haven't mentioned that yet because it's all like backstory stuff that's really deep in the lore. There used to be this whole initiative living on the island in the 70s called the Dharma Initiative. That's why they've got all these buildings on the island. They kind of, something happened and Ben kind of was the catalyst of it. He killed everyone because they were essentially, he just didn't like being a part of that crew. So he killed everyone and he kind of formed the others from the the remaining people. And yeah, so that's why there's the barracks, which is actually houses, and there's all these different buildings that they can go into. So yeah, are the freighter people good or bad? Um, so Daniel Faraday and Charlotte are there to turn off. It's like essentially a, a one of the stations that lets out like a poisonous gas. So they're there for just that, but they're otherwise they're fine characters. There is a mercenary team that's on the freighter that comes out a bit later. Now they're there essentially to get Ben Linus. They've got to capture him. Now... This is there's one episode in the season that's really confronting because he's got an adoptive daughter, which turns out to be the French chick's daughter who was stolen when she was pregnant, but he raised it as he raised her as his own, um, Alex. Now there's this really confronting episode where they're like the mercenaries have captured Alex, and there's a standoff between Ben watching Alex being captured um, by the mercenary, and he ends up shooting Alex in the head. It's really like really raw. And so Ben sees this and then he kind of lets out this smoke monster and he weirdly has control of it from the barracks somehow. It's kind of one of those things that's just kind of part of the part of the lost mythology. So he ends up killing all the all the mercenaries. So during that time when the mercenaries are killed, this is when they realize they have to get off the island. Everyone has to get off the island. So Frank organizes these uh, people to go off the with the use of the helicopter onto the freighter and a couple of people get on there before like there's another plot with blowing up the freighter as well towards the end of the season the freighter ends up blowing up and that's why you don't know if Jin survives or not because he was one of the people who got onto the the um the freighter the survivors are essentially in a helicopter the ones that actually become the oceanic eight um they end up landing the helicopter in the ocean and during this time Locke's been working with ben to try and move the island i I didn't start up move the island um so they go to this underground well uh lock and ben to move the island and so ben ends up moving it and it's literally this like ship wheel which is on its like horizontal and he just moves the wheel around and it kind of like at the same time as the helicopter's like trying to get to the freighter just like before it like lands in the water they're moving the wheel so there's this blinding light as well that happens in this season and the freighter blows up, the blinding light happens, the island moves, it's literally just disappears and there's nothing there. So they've got nowhere to land, um, the helicopter people. So they just land in the ocean. They all survive, but luckily enough, they've been contacting Penny throughout the entire season. So Penny kind of knows where it is. So Penny's actual boat turns up and saves them all. Yeah, and that's how they become the Oceanic 8. Q in season 5... Now, season five, this was an interesting one. This one involves time travel. So when Ben ends up moving the island, he didn't end up moving it physically. He just kind of moved it in a, like a time travel kind of thing. So the characters that are still on the island, so half of them have left because they've they've been saved by Penny's boat. The other half, they're kind of flashing through time. So the first couple of episodes is essentially them flashing through time because the wheel is stuck like the wheel of time that they kind of have there is stuck and they're flashing like they go they go really to the past with all the ancient monoliths that are on the island there's a part where they get caught in this i think it's the 50s where they see there's a bomb 
from like the US Army has it on the island as well. And then they flash, I think, into the future, like quite a bit into the future. And it's got all their old stuff where they used to live on the beach, like in ruins. So they realize it's the future. They just keep flashing forward and forward and back and back. And I think Charlotte ends up dying during this period because she's been on the island before. She's been exposed to too much of this kind of like travel stuff before. And she ends up dying. Locke realizes he has to fix the island's time situation um, and get the Oceanic um, 8 back on the island to fix things. So he goes to the to the wheel to fix it all up. And when he does turn the wheel again, so as you turn the wheel, you kind of leave the island as well. So when Ben did it last season, he ends up, you know, back in the mainland, like normal society. When Locke turned it, he ends up back in normal society as well. When he turned the wheel, the people that were jumping around in time end up in 1977. So they end up part of the Dharma Initiative, which was the, you know, the part where Ben Linus as a kid kind of killed them all. There's a, that's where their story kind of happens. Now, at the same time, the people who got off the island, they're like dealing with like everyday like island, off-island stuff. Like I'm pretty sure Kate and Jack are in a relationship. They're looking after Claire's baby because Claire kind of just like a Ben's her baby at some point. And there's a whole storyline involving her father being the same father as Jack. And she thinks she sees the father in the, the forest. So she just leaves a baby. So that's why Kate's looking after the baby as well. When Locke left the island and turned the wheel... He ends up back in the real world. Now, he loses his ability to walk again because he's not on the island, so he's in a wheelchair the whole time. He has to try and convince convince the Oceanic 8 to come back to the island to fix the timeline up, timeline up and fix everything that's gone wrong since they left. He slowly convinces them one by one or convinces them enough to think about it, and what happens is he goes and visits Ben, I think, last because Ben's also off the island since he moved it. Ben ends up killing Locke, because he just doesn't believe him or believe what's going on is is true. So Locke ends up dying. And I'm pretty sure the only holdout of going back was like Jack or the others weren't thinking about it until Jack did it. So Jack ends up in a really bad place because of Locke's death. And he ends up drinking again. He becomes an alcoholic. He realizes uh, Locke's died. And he goes and sees the dead body. And he realizes, all right, we've all got to go back. And that's where the iconic scene comes from. And it's a reveal at the end of pretty sure the fourth season that you realize it's a flash forward. We have to go back, Kate. We have to go back. And that's him trying to convince Kate as well to go back. And they end up do all going back. Like they, uh, they all convince each other to go. They get on a plane and lo and behold, the pilot of the plane, because it's set like two years later for them as well, is, is Frank, the pilot from when they all got off the freighter. So Frank sees them all get on the plane together and he's like, I don't think we're going to Guam, are we? And Jack just go, just stays silent. And as they're flying the plane on that particular flight, there's a massive flash of light when they're flying and the plane ends up crashing on the island again. Like somehow it's like nighttime and then it goes cra- crash on the island during the day. It's not as bad of a crash. Like it actually does land pretty well. So it's like a salvageable plane. And the those particular people the oceanic eight are actually flashed off the plane during the flash so the plane lands and it's still 2007 so it's like two three years later from the original timeline normal timeline phrase so it lands but those people that were the oceanic eight are actually flashed back to 1977 as well and that's where they actually match up with the original survivors like hugo and uh, Sawyer and Daniel Faraday and that they they find them in the bush like like oh wow we found you guys and then Sawyer is like it's 1977 and it's this whole thing where Jack's like whole frame of mind is just 
that's where his whole science versus faith thing goes out the window. Some more things happen with the Dharma Initiative. They realize Jack thinks the only way to fix the timeline in 1977, because they've kind of all infiltrated the Dharma Initiative now, they're all members of it during the rest of the second half of the fifth season. They realize that the the bomb that was left there from the the 50s army is still there. So they go to blow it up. And what they do is they do, they end up going there and blowing it up. And that's essentially what causes the hatch incident that you know from the original timeline from seasons one and two. So then that that kind of coincides with this. Oh, okay, cool. That makes sense. Um, but and Juliet ends up dying as well. She... The bomb doesn't really go off. It kind of like they try to make it go off. She has to jump down into the hole and hit it with a rock. It explodes. Everyone from that timeline kind of vanishes, That the, the main characters vanish, and then they end up where the hatch would have been in 2007. So they kind of like it. F- they get forced into the future in the timeline, and then it's course corrected. So Jack was right. It does course correct there, and that's when you come to season six. Now... During the explosion of the the bomb, it kind of causes two timelines to kind of split. It causes like a flash sideway timeline, which that's what it appears to be from the viewer's perspective. And then there's the 2007 normal timeline. They act like the flash sideways act like the normal flashbacks and flash forwards. Essentially, it acts as if the plane, the original 815 plane never never crashed like it just went on like the the island was never there and this is where people start to like get really annoyed with the show because they're like oh they're all stuck in purgatory and you're like just wait for the explanation and so the 2007 timeline's got everyone back together that's still alive and they realize that Locke is somehow alive because they brought his body back as well onto the plane and he's he's got up he's, he's walking around he's like you're walking but they're like he was dead what the hell's going on they work out that it's actually the sinister... It's called the Man in Black. There's two characters from the ancient times that have been mentioned throughout the entire show. It's Jacob, who's the good guy who runs the entire island. He's like this mystical character you see sometimes or he's mentioned. And then there's the Man in Black. Essentially, it's good versus evil, black versus white, that color coding, because um, one wears a white shirt, one wears a black shirt. And the Man in Black never gets a name. That's why he's called the Man in Black. The man in black is actually the smoke monster. He just takes the form of a smoke plume to essentially kill people. Um, and Jacob's, he's basically never seen on screen, but he's mentioned a lot. You see him once and that's about it. He ends up dying because the man in black takes the form of John Locke. He needed a vessel essentially to take form again. So he takes the form of John Locke on the last season. So it's a man in black. The main characters are trying to get to the temple before he can kill them all. He get They get into the temple. The Men in Black also uses some people to come in and kill everyone in the temple. So the last kind of part of the season is this big confrontation between Jack's group and Locke's group, which is kind of, again, like this big size versus Faith, John versus uh, Jack, and ends up really kind of mythological in this last season, really deeply deeply mythological and a lot of the stuff the lore they've been building throughout the first five seasons is definitely in there in this season really hard so it's hard to explain what happens between these kind of characters there's desmond is kind of like this catalyst that can't be hurt by any of the electromagnetism stuff from when he fixed the hatch so what they do is the man in black or john Locke uses desmond to what's called remove the heart of the island and then i 
kid you not, it's this cork-type rock that is in the bottom of a golden pool. Desmond pulls that out, and when when he he pulls that out, the man in black is allowed to leave the island. That's essentially his drive, his motive. He wants to leave the island, and he can't while the heart of the island is in there. That's essentially what Jacob kind of, the rule he put in place for the island. Since Desmond can kind of remove the heart of the island, the man in black also becomes mortal. But he can leave the island, but he becomes mortal. So this is the prime opportunity for Jack's crew to fight Locke, or the man in black. Um, so there's this massive fight at the end of the season between Jack and um, Locke. Locke ends up dying. Well, the character of the man in black in Jack's body ends up dying. And during the injury, like, he gets injured quite a bit, Jack as well. He goes back to the heart of the island with Desmond and makes sure Desmond puts it back in. And he tells Desmond, he's like, get everyone off the island because the Argyra plane, which is the second plane they came on in 2007, it, it's been fixed during the season so they can leave. He's like to Desmond, he's like, get everyone off, get Kate off, um, and we'll, I'll, I'll, I can't make it. So Desmond agrees to that, gets everyone on the plane, and the last kind of shot of Jack is walking through the bush as if he was from the start of the first episode. He walks through all these bamboo trees, the same ones that he walked through from the beginning of the show, and he kind of falls down into the bush, looking up at the screen at the same way he opened the show, and he sees the Ajira plane going over the top of him, which means he knows that everyone else that he saved has left the island again for good this time. And he kind of succumbs to his wounds and the the dog that's been living on the island, which was seen during the first episode as well, the dog that runs past as he's getting up. The dog, Vincent, comes and sits de- next to him as he kind of dies. So that's the end of the storyline of the on-island stuff. Now, the Flash sideways, this is the part that people didn't like about season six. So this is the timeline that happened the same time as the season six stuff on-island happens. It's as if the plane got to L.A., they all kind of go off into their lives, and but they realize they're all still connected even off the island when they get to LA. And the whole season is them kind of interacting with each other in in like ways that they shouldn't, like strangers. And they realize they come together, and towards the end, they realize they've got that connection from their on island experiences. So when they meet up in what's the church at the end of the season, they see each other in this church, and they actually remember their lives on the island and before because essentially what the flash sideways is it's not purgatory it's the place after death but they need each other so they can move on essentially so that's why they all so they die essentially think about when they died it doesn't matter which part of the season which episode but they all wake up as if they're flying on that plane from the start of season six they find each other again they all find each other in this church and then they all open the church door together and move on so that's the Flash Sideways takes place completely after the entire show. It's when an individual character dies. That's when that's the start of the Flash Sideways. It's hard to explain, but yes, that's what the crux of it is. Um, there's a lot of themes, like I mentioned, throughout the entire show. Zoom in on eyes, good versus evil, science versus faith, a lot of that. in A lot of literary um, allusions too, like John Locke's name is a is a book writer. There's a bunch of books that are mentioned, like really classical books throughout this entire show. They love the form of like the art form of um, yeah, like literary books and stuff like that. So they knew what they were doing when they were making the show. I I don't like when people say that they would they didn't have a plan. Like I think they did have a plan. 
it was just hard to showcase he- with how heavy the mythology had to be in the last kind of season. But yeah, it's one of my favorite shows. I'm going to wrap it up here. Uh, it's been a long episode of me just talking to the audience. Um, if you have any questions about Lost at all, I can kind of answer them. any specific questions. Like if you remember an episode and you're like, I don't remember what this was about, I can definitely answer it. Write in, write to our Instagram, anything. I'll happily, happily answer it. I'm just trying to cover what essentially happened in the show with all the characters, uh, which is kind of hard in about half an hour. Um, so I'll wrap it up here. And as always, thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, please give it a follow. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and threads at BingeList or email us at BingeList and BoxOfficeHits at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to my solo episode. I've tried to make it entertaining as I possibly could considering I'm only talking like one person talking to an audience. It's very hard. It's a lot harder than you think. If you've got any feedback at all of how I could conduct it a little bit differently, um, I can. I shouldn't be doing too many solo ones, to be honest. I think T should be back after about three weeks and I've got plans for the other weeks anyway. So, yeah, any feedback, comments, concerns, queries, write in. And I just want to thank you so much for still listening to this show. Thanks, guys.